This is T.M. Camp, and you're listening to the podcast of my novel, Assam and Darjeeling. Book Four, Coming Home. Chapter Seven. Assam ran blindly through the turns and passages, clinging to a thin thread of pain and fear that wound its way through the maze. He could feel his sister at the end, her screams vibrating along the thread that he followed like a plucked violin string. That was his sister, he told himself, there in front of him, not that horrible bloated ruin behind him, dragging at him with her sorrowful wails. He wanted to forget her, to pretend that it was some horrible trick, but he knew it wasn't true. He had felt too much of her there to deny it, down below the layers upon layers of years. Her sorrow tugged at him. Her terror pulled him forward. So he ran to her, to the sister that wasn't already beyond saving. Turning corners left and right, he followed the thin thread of her fear. He could not think of what he had left behind in that pink room, that echo of sobs fading in his mind like the dull ache of an old rotten tooth, familiar and hateful all at once. There was a maze, he told himself, with a monster at its center, and the hero followed a thread the princess had woven for him. He could hear her now, louder, her voice rising and falling in a jumble of words that he dared not stop to consider or decipher, and then she went silent. Another corner, a door up ahead, Assam was through it before caution could slow him down. He ran through a long hallway, picture frames on the walls rattling as he passed. One of them fell and clattered against the floor. He heard glass break. He ran on through into a room, taking it all in. Shelves on the walls, a low table littered with tools, his sister strapped down in what looked like an old barber's chair. Gee! He ran to her, undoing the straps that held her head and neck. There was a trickle of blood at the corner of her mouth, tracing a path down the line of her jaw, soaking the collar of her sweater. He patted her cheek. For one terrible moment, he thought that she might be dead. But her eyelids flickered at his touch. Her chest hitched and heaved with breath. She murmured, her brow creasing. It's okay, he said. Shh, let me get you free. Her eyes opened and then fluttered closed again. Her head fell forward and then back, setting off a chain reaction of memory in his mind. Watching her as a toddler, fighting sleep in her high chair, her head lolling forward and then snapping up again, trying to stay awake, desperate not to miss out on anything going on. It was a good memory. He almost smiled at it, in spite of everything. It's okay, he told her. It's... All right now. He saw the brass bowl on the little table then, the two jagged shards at the bottom, her teeth bloodied at the back where they'd been torn out by the root. Assam went blind with rage. He would have, he could have killed anyone then. His sister opened her eyes and gasped. No, you have to get away from here. He tugged at the straps around her wrist. Not without you. Yes, get out now. He tried to reassure her, to let her know that everything was okay, but then he felt a spider crawl across the back of his mind. 
tapping experimentally at each crease and fold, looking for a weak spot. He turned. There was a man standing on the other side of the room, familiar, and the man raised his hand just a split second before Assam raised his own as if to ward off a blow. G shouted his name, but he was already falling, a puppet, his strings cut. Juniper caught the boy limp in his arms. Lifting him, he carried Assam over to the table and laid him down. Don't hurt him. G struggled against her bonds. Juniper ignored her, studying the young man's face for a moment. He did not touch that pale cheek. He did not lay his hand to smooth that tousled hair. But G could tell that he wanted to. Finally, he turned back to her and nodded with that same vague expression on his face. Thank you, he said, all business. I never would have been able to get him here without your help. Why are you doing this to us? G fought to shape the words, forcing them through the awkward gap in the front of her mouth, past the two seeping holes where her teeth had been. What do you want? Juniper smiled, sadly. The answer to both of your questions is simple. I want to go home. She had nothing to say to that. He clucked his tongue and took a small jar from one of the shelves, tapping the lid against the edge of the desk. It was empty, G noticed. I don't know that you particularly care about any of this, he said as he unscrewed the lid of the jar, but it's important to me that you understand. Keep him talking, G thought to herself. I want to understand. Do you? He set the jar on the desktop and pulled out the chair, sitting down. I expect that the only way to do that, the only way for you to understand, is to tell you my story. He drew a slip of paper a few inches long from one of the drawers and patted his hands over the tabletop in front of him as though looking for something. He ignored the boy, lying senseless in front of him. Do you like stories? Is my brother dead? No, his mouth twisted, sour and disappointed. Do you like stories? G flinched in spite of herself. Yes. Good, he stared at the tabletop for a moment. I did not, he said quietly, have any idea where I left my pen. He leaned back in his chair and opened the drawers in front of him. This, he said, standing up to check his pockets, this is intensely irritating to me. He sat back down and thought for a moment. Ah, yes. He lifted Assam's limp arm and drew the pen out from under him. He uncapped his pen and stopped, fingers searching the desktop. Now, where did that label get to? It fell when you... It's on the floor. Yes, I have it. Thank you. 
He screwed the cap and pen back together and reached down to retrieve the fallen slip of paper, fingers tapping the floor to find it by feel. But it was a hypothetical question. You know what that means? She shook her head. It means, he said, I do not need an answer from you. Juniper uncapped the pen once more and bent over the paper. Then why did you ask? The question was out of her mouth before she could stop it. Juniper froze, the point of the pen almost touching the paper. Do you, he asked without looking up, want to hear a story or not? She said nothing. Her only weapon was to be irritating, and like any little sister, she knew she had to strike a careful balance, or else he might explode. He swiveled his head to stare at her, vulture-like. He appeared to be slightly wall-eyed, G noticed. I had a sister, he said quietly. She was precisely as irritating as you. G stared back at him, blankly trying not to break, not to give anything away. He'd heard her thought. She was sure of it. Of course I did, he said, returning to a slip of paper. She thought she was funny. She thought she was cute. But there are times and there are places when and where nothing is cute. He carefully wrote something out, one letter at a time. There was an accident, he said quietly without looking up. And so, after a time in a distance, we ended up here. He sat back and capped his pen, stowing it away in a pocket. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Gee, said nothing. Juniper lifted the paper carefully by one corner, waving it in the air. It wasn't so bad at first. It was an interesting adventure, like something out of a storybook. But then things went bad. He blew gently on the paper for a moment. We were so sure of ourselves, he said, so confident that we would make it back. Juniper shook his head. But it was easy to get distracted in this place, spend your time chasing echoes and shadows and reflections. You start to lose track of what's important. We started to lose track of each other, to lose track of ourselves. Juniper said nothing more. He was somewhere else. G wondered if he knew he'd gone quiet. Then... When the time came to make a choice, and make no mistake, there is always a choice to be made, and when it comes right down to it, there is only one choice. She made hers. What happened? G didn't know what to believe. Anything he said could be a lie. All of it could be true. It could be just another trick to try and lure her in. But she was already in. What more could he want? She made her choice, and then she was gone. Where did she go? He shook his head. I expect she went back home. I don't envy her the choice. No, believe me, if it had been me, I might have done the same thing. He was thoughtful for a moment, and then nodded. I would have, 
He rose and came to her, kneeling down to stare blankly into her face. But, as it stands, you left me. He stood there for a long moment, clutching her wrists. G did not move or flinch for fear that it would set him off. And then he let her go and stepped back. He looked tired all of a sudden, tired and very old. You're lying. Am I? You're not my brother. She couldn't allow herself to believe what he was telling her. Her teeth lying there in the bowl. She could not believe her brother capable of that cruelty. Juniper shrugged. Perhaps you're mistaken. What if I were to tell you something you wanted to know? Any secret that only you and he would know? Would you believe me then? No. He nodded. I don't expect that you would, no. But I am your brother, nonetheless. Then why are you so old? I told you, he said wearily, rummaging through the desk drawers. You left me here, left me to rot, years and years ago. That's... She stopped. I didn't leave you. I mean... I didn't leave him. I'm still here, and he's right there. We should probably talk about time a little bit right now. Juniper produced a small metal can and unscrewed the top. The lid of the can had a small brush attached to the inside, and he drew it out carefully, wiping it against the rim of the can. There was a sharp smell in the air, burning at the edges of G's nostrils. You... Probably think, Juniper said as he ran the brush over the slip of paper on the table. You probably think that time is all about going from point A to point B. First, one thing happens, and then another, and then another, like a river. It flows in one direction, and we're just along for the ride. He replaced the brush in the jar and held up the paper by one corner, waving it in the air. When we get in the boat, we're born, and we go along until it's time to get out, when we die, right? I guess, G honestly could not care less. Sure. Juniper laid the slip of paper back down on the table, sticky side up. Are you sure? he asked, picking up the glass jar and breathing on it. Because if you are... You're completely wrong. G shrugged. Whether or not he was her brother, they both seemed to share the same tendency to be more boring than school. Besides, he said, rubbing the jar on his sleeve, time is not a river. Not at all. It's messier than that, more jumbled up. He laid the glass jar down on its side, tapping the desktop with his fingertips as he lined up the jar perfectly with the edge of the paper. Something about the gesture struck G as odd, out of whack. Slowly, he rolled the jar across the paper, the glue sticking to it as it rolled across. Time is not a river going one way, he said, holding up the jar. The label was perfectly straight. It's a lot bigger than that. He set the jar down on the table and sat back, thoughtful. 
He laid his fingertips against his eyelids, massaging them gently. A familiar gesture. G pushed the thought out of her mind. I don't remember, Juniper said. What grade are you in again? Fourth, G answered. I may not remember everything, he said, but I'm also not an idiot. You're in second grade. G said nothing. She was starting to feel a little sick from the taste of her own blood seeping out of the two holes in the front of her mouth. She resisted the urge to spit, to swallow. So, second grade, they probably didn't tell you about water and the cycle of precipitation? She stared at him, blankly. He sighed. There goes my big speech. Don't worry about it. It's a middle school thing. The little black phone on the desk sprang to life, the insistent jangle cutting through the air. G could hear the jars on the shelves rattling in response. Juniper let the phone ring several more times before he reached out his hand and, without taking his eyes off her, picked up the receiver. Yes, he said into it, his voice flat. A long moment. He covered the mouthpiece with his palm and said to her, I have to take this. Can you give me a minute? Before she could answer, he raised his hand and everything went out like a light. She blinked once, twice. Everything had changed. She was no longer lying strapped to the chair. Instead, she was sitting at the desk, looking at her brother strapped down in her place. He did not appear to be awake let alone alive. Juniper stood nearby, thoughtful. The phone sat on the table in front of her, the receiver back in place. She tried to reach for it, to call someone for help. Her hand would not move. Juniper was holding her there, holding her down, but he wasn't even touching her. He could do things, she realized. He could hold her, he could turn her off, stopping time, long enough to finish his call, long enough to move them around the room, long enough to do anything he wanted. The glass jar was sitting on the table to one side. The label, she saw, began with her name, followed by incisors, two, immature. The handwriting, she noticed, was almost identical to her mother's. The jar was empty. Sorry about that. Juniper said, picking up the jar from the desk. It was a personal call. I'm not immature, G said sullenly. I beg your pardon. The label, she said, pointing her chin at the jar in his hands. I'm not immature. His eyes knitted together for a moment. He stared at the jar in his hand and then laughed. Of course you aren't he told her. I'm not. No, he sounded very much like her father and not in a good way. My notations pertain to your dental rather than your emotional development. She just stared at him. Your teeth. He tapped the jar with his fingertip. Gee heard a faint sound from the shelves behind her. Your teeth are immature. They are, he explained. 
your baby teeth. Oh, she said. Okay. He picked up the bowl and tilted it over the jar. G heard her teeth rattle against the glass. In a way, he told her, that's a good thing. They'll grow back in time and you'll be no worse for wear. Except for the whole tooth fairy thing. Well, yes, except for that. Then you owe me some money. Don't hold your breath. Juniper clucked his tongue and went to a small cabinet, opened it, and took out a plastic jug. Why do you want them anyway? Juniper didn't answer. He uncapped the jug and filled the jar with clear liquid. She would have thought it was water but for the harsh chemical smell that filled the room. He capped the jug and screwed down the lid once more. It started with eyes, he said, cupping the jar in his hands. I regret that now. I was young and I didn't have a clear vision of who I had become. G was surprised to see that he looked a little embarrassed. It was the water, really, that misled me, he said to her. I thought of the river and the tears and aqueous humor and, well, it just seemed obvious. Eyes. She stared at him. He sighed. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? She shook her head. What do you think the river is? What river? He stared at her incredulously. The river? The one that you've been following? Oh, right. She knew this one. It's water. He shook his head. No, it's tears. Tears? Juniper nodded. Yes, the tears of the damned. You know what that word means? Yes. G answered, but that's not true. I assure you it is. No, she said, it isn't. Fee told me that it wasn't. Few said no one was being punished here. Who? Winterly. I'm afraid I don't know who you mean. Fee gave us tea at the palace. Juniper's face went slack, expressionless. No, he said. After a long moment, I've never been there. Sure you have, G said. That's where we went after your eyes. She trailed off, staring at him. She realized suddenly that he was not looking back at her. Not quite. His gaze was directed off to one side. In a flash, her mind scrambled back through everything she'd seen. The careful movements, the methodical pace as he moved through the room, the distant, dreamlike gaze he wore so often. You can't see, she said. You're blind. Yes. Do you remember now? But the king, she said, he healed you. The king, he asked. Which one? I don't know his name. The queen's Winterly's husband. I do not know what you are talking about. He held up the jar and tested it, making sure the lid was tight. I have never met the people. I've never been to the place. Inside the jar, she saw two pale shards lying at the bottom. 
The sight made her very angry. Well, we did, me and him, she nodded at Assam, still lying senseless on the table. Though, I guess you aren't my brother after all. Besides, she said no one here was damned, no one was being punished. Juniper shook the jar gently. G heard her teeth rattle faintly within. A hollow chorus answered from the jars on the shelves. Are you sure about that? He asked her. She wasn't, she realized. Not at all. Juniper placed the jar on one of the shelves. Have you considered, he asked her, how things might have been different here if you'd made different choices, followed different paths? G started to answer and then stopped. Juniper went on. Somewhere in our shared past, and we share a past, no, make no mistake, there was a choice, a fork in the road, a place where you and I went one direction while you and him continued on in another. So there's two of you? He smiled. Oh, well, I expect there may well be considerably more than that. He started ticking off on his fingers. The accident, the river, the time in Moontown, pancakes and hamburgers, so many different paths, different choices, each one of us making our own way. It does start to add up after a while, like when raindrops fall and shatter off in all directions, tracing their individual paths down the window pane, all the same, all different, sometimes splitting in two, going in different directions at once. He lowered his hands, cupped them together. But they all returned to the same place at the end, to the source of the water, as do we all. It was Waffles, G said. I'm sorry? I had waffles, not pancakes. He held up his hand. So, there you go. Just another path that you chose. So there's two of me? Juniper didn't answer. G thought of him, of some twisted version of her brother growing up in this place, alone and blind. It was no wonder he'd turned out the way he had. She would have almost felt sorry for him, if not for the iron taste of blood in her mouth, if not for her missing teeth. I would have liked to have met a king. Juniper looked very young for a moment. What was he like? He was great, G said. He made us homemade ice cream and balloon animals. Juniper looked at her, or rather, he turned to face her. No need to be rude, he said mildly, clucking his tongue as he went through the room, straightening things. G had the impression that she'd hurt his feelings. Good. She watched him, wondering how he could tell what needed to be moved, or was he just moving things at random? giving himself time to think. She kept her eyes on his hands, trying to see any hint of awkwardness or uncertainty, any sign that his blindness made him weak. She needed him to be weak. As he worked, he kept talking. At any rate, 
I soon, though not soon enough to my shame, I soon realized that eyes were completely useless for my purposes. What purposeth? G asked, trying to force the words past her new lisp. She was going to make him pay for those teeth, one way or another. A thought formed in her mind. If he hadn't been to the palace, then he didn't get cured. And if he didn't get cured, then maybe. He shook his head. You were never much of a listener, were you? G was old enough to notice the past tense, and it irritated her. I heard you, she told him. You cut out people's eyes. No, he replied seriously. I used to cut out people's eyes, but not anymore. Why not? She couldn't tell if he was joking or not, but she was sickened by the conversation and by her own fear. Her brother lay motionless, lifeless in the chair. He would never become this monster. She knew it. I did it, Juniper said. I took them because I thought that they might help me get home, or at least help me get free of this place. And when I realized I was wrong, I stopped. Yay for you. He shuffled a pile of papers aimlessly. You have to understand, I've traveled so many paths since you left me. I lost so much along the way, but... I learned much as well. Setting the papers down again, he said, I knew I could never get back that golden coin of mine, but I thought that maybe there might be another way. Golden coin? G reminded herself to keep him talking. The more he said, the more time she had. Like what? The eyes were a regrettable mistake. Yes, a blind stab in the dark, as were, he sighed, the fingertips. He ran his hand lightly over one of the shelves, never quite touching the jars. And yet they clinked and rattled in agitation as his hand passed by. And the tongues, he said, although that did get me closer. Tongues? G tried very hard to keep the disgust out of her voice and failed. He shook his head at the interruption. It was my thought that since the coin was gone, I might try my hand at minting a new one. He stood for a moment, rubbing his fingertips together. G realized that her brother had a coin collection at home. She tried to push the thought out of her mind. I needed, he went on, I needed a way to make a new coin to replace the one I'd lost. Not a counterfeit, mind you. It had to be real. Why? He gave her a blank look. You're serious? She nodded slowly. If you're dead, then why do you need a coin when you could just... Juniper snapped his teeth together and lunged forward, slapping his hands down on the tabletop. I am not dead. He did not shout, but he came very close. G flinched, barely. 
Juniper stared directly into her eyes. She told herself that he could not see her, that he would not be able to see her if she didn't move, didn't make a noise. Deep down, she did not believe it. Juniper relaxed and withdrew. He seemed almost embarrassed by his outburst. Dead or not, he cleared his throat. Without a coin, I am lost. I might be able to walk along all sorts of paths, but I could never go so far as to recapture the boy that I once was. His voice was full of sadness and nostalgia, but G could see the raw, naked hunger on his face as well. Eyes, he said. Eyes were a dead end, as were other options. But it occurred to me that his voice trailed off and he stared off into the passageway, still rubbing his fingertips together. Finally, he said, when you touch a drop of water, a little of it comes away on your finger. Then you can touch that fingertip to the tip of each of your other fingers, spreading the drop of water among them. He trailed off once more. G thought of saying that she already knew how to wash her hands, but after his latest outburst, she didn't want to push him further. Fortunately, he went on. You remember it? That lovely coin? The little boy in the robot pajamas? He had it in his mouth. He shook his head. He was so young. Jimmy, she said. His name was Jimmy, and it was frogs, not robots. Juniper smiled and then frowned. I remember his name, but I remember robots and not frogs. I remember the frogs, she said. It was longer ago for you than me. Juniper waved his hand in the air, waving off her assertion like an irritating fly. Yes, fine, but do you remember his coin? Jean nodded, and then, wondering how he could see if she was nodding, said, Yes, I remember. I remember, too. There was a faraway look in Juniper's eyes. It was gold, and it shone like the sun. He touched the jars lightly with his fingertips. As I said, I have followed many, many paths since you left me. For a very long time, I thought that if I collected enough teeth, then I would eventually have enough gold to mint a coin for myself. G poked her tongue into the space at the front of her mouth, dabbing at the iron taste of blood. She had never been so angry in her life. A tooth here, a tooth there. Little by little my collection grew, but the gold that I got from each of them, when there was any gold at all, and often there wasn't, well, it was hardly worth the effort. He stopped to straighten a jar, making sure that the label lined up perfectly with the others. G wondered how he knew it wasn't right. She watched carefully, his fingertips deftly tapping here and there to feel where things were at. They must be very sensitive, she thought, his fingers. 
She wondered what would happen if he lost them. She wondered if she could get close enough to him to find out. Her front teeth might be gone, but she thought she might still be able to do some damage. So what happened? Oh, I did it. I minted a new coin, he said. But it didn't work out as I'd hoped. The coin I made was just a lump of gold lying there in the palm of my hand, dead and useless. Why didn't it work? Juniper shook his head. Maybe because of how I made it. Maybe because of the screams and pain resonating through every molecule of its surface. But more likely, it didn't work because it wasn't my coin. He smiled but there was no humor in it. It couldn't be just any coin. It had to be my coin. The same coin I started this miserable life with. I couldn't make a new one any more than I could make myself a new soul, nor could I steal someone else's. Is that what it is? G asked. Is that what, what is? The coin, she said. Is it our soul? Not quite. Then what is it? It's the price we pay, he told her simply. It's the sum cost of our life, collected when our turn on the wheel is over. But where does it come from? Where did we get it? Well, if I knew that... Juniper let the comment fall into the silence between them. He tapped one of the jars. Something stirred inside, rattling faintly within. What was that? G asked. That, Juniper replied as he took down the jar and ran his fingertips over the label. That was the sound of two canines and four molars, numbers 13, 23, 17, and 12, I didn't get his name, but I expect he was probably about 38 years old. Number 23 had a temporary crown on it. He's feeling the letters with his fingers, G thought in surprise. He can read them. Juniper shook the jar and the noise grew louder. Even after he replaced it back on the shelf, it continued to rattle in agitation. It's alive? Juniper shrugged. I suppose so, after a fashion. G thought that she might throw up. But somewhere in the back of her mind, a voice whispered and then fell silent. She tried very hard not to think about what it said to her, just in case he could eavesdrop like her brother. Wait a minute, she said. Juniper raised his eyebrows. Yes? You said... Dee was still sorting it out as she went along. You said that the thing with the teeth didn't work, right? That's correct. Then why? Gee couldn't believe she had to ask the question. Then why do you keep doing it, taking teeth? Why did you take my teeth? Well, you know how it is, he said. Once you get interested in something, start a collection... He held his hands up. What can I say? It's a hobby. Besides, what was I supposed to do? 
put them all back? He lowered his hands. But, more importantly, I took your teeth to get his attention. I took your teeth to draw him here. Assam lay in the chair, lifeless as a corpse but for the faint motion of his chest, rising and falling. G wondered if he could hear them, if he was dreaming of anything. She wondered what would happen to him after Juniper stole his coin. You've been listening to Assam and Darjeeling, written and read by the author, T.M. Camp. A new chapter from the book is available each week, free to download at the iTunes Store. To find out more about Assam and Darjeeling, to read my weblog, or to send me your questions and feedback, visit my website at tmcamp.com. I hope to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. This podcast was written, performed, and produced by T.M. Camp and may not be copied, distributed, transcribed, or otherwise reproduced without his express written permission. Please direct all inquiries to the attention of the author at www.tmcamp.com. If you are unable to access the Internet, spread a thin layer of peanut butter over a slice of whole wheat bread. Sprinkle it with unsalted sunflower seeds and place it on the sill of any second-story window in your home. When the blue jay arrives, whisper your request to her. She will pass it along. If you live in a home with only one story, move.